Welcome back to Harmony Beats Balance. I'm Dana Mahina. Today's special guest is Penny Nichols. She comes to us with the same location of the island of Kauai that I happen to be on, as you all are starting to learn. So whether you're listening from the islands of Hawaii or from anywhere on the planet, we would love you to listen to Penny's story and also try to connect with her inspiration when it comes to art. Now, I have to just say, Penny, as I'm introducing you, you are the first guest in years, whether it's our podcast or our radio show that has sent in her bio picture as a collage of her own art and her own image. And we're going to put it in the show notes for people that are listening on the podcast. It's just beautiful. So thank you for being an original and welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your journey. It started way back when on Waikiki, as I understand it. Tell us about that. Yes, um, I've been in Hawaii a long time. Um, This year I'll be 77. So I think some of my, when I taught high school, my students found this hard to comprehend, but I grew up during the territory days of Hawaii. Statehood happened when I was in ninth grade. So when I was growing up, in Waikiki, it was very different. Well, it wasn't entirely different, but it, it was it was different. Hawaii was a territory. And uh, my parents had an art gallery in Honolulu. And I grew up surrounded by art. And oh, I think I decided very early on that I knew two things for sure. One was I would never go into art. And the other was that uh, I would never live on these islands out in the middle of the ocean. I was getting out of here and I was going to go to college and study English and become a writer. So that didn't really materialize. And here you are. (laughs) I'm actually glad that I did that. But I, I think teaching art and making art was my destiny, obviously, but it wasn't my plan. <laughs> my, my plan of action was completely different. I wanted to be somewhere else and be around people who were doing something else. And I think that was a good experience for me. I think all, all kids from Hawaii need to leave for a while in order to come back and fully appreciate this place. <laughs> It it took me about a week, you know, on the mainland before I was desperately homesick. But the art thing came later. Did you ever imagine you would be able to get paid for your passion? Well, I guess I did because I grew up in the art business, you know, but it wasn't really, like I said, it wasn't my passion. I didn't think of it as my passion. I didn't even finish my education. So I didn't become a writer. I got married. I had (laughs) a bunch of children. And um, I was passionate about that, about being a wife and mother and homemaker, which was kind of exotic to me because I grew up in a family where that wasn't considered a worthy goal or a thing that you should aspire to. But I, I found it to be creative. And I did that for about a decade. And um, when that ended in divorce, I was not prepared to be a single mother Mm. with three young children. And um, I had to find a way to make a living. (laughs) It was odd how 
I guess it was the 1970s. I was here on Kauai. My parents still had a, a retail, an art retail things. So it was kind of effortless for me. I don't know. I just, I started doing art as a therapeutic thing at night when my children were asleep. And then I had friends who encouraged me to just put it out there because I needed to develop some sort of cottage industry for myself where I could be at home and, and make some money. But because of the times and because I was connected to the art gallery world at that time, um, on Oahu, it just fell into place. And uh, I was immediately thrust into this situation where I was able to make not my entire living, but quite a bit off of my art. And then the rest I did with teaching. I started teaching, which is another thing I didn't realize I liked, but I immediately became very passionate about both of those things, making art and teaching art and have pursued them for the last almost 50 years. That is an incredible journey. And so many of our listeners are probably asking themselves right now, is it possible to get paid for passion? And if not, is it possible to do something I love and not feel like I'm a slave to the almighty dollar? And many of us, myself included, have lived the single mother journey and found that sometimes these things come together like synchronicity, not even simply on the islands of Hawaii, where a lot of people have had synchronicities, even as tourists and vacationers throughout the world, people will find, especially people in strife or struggle that maybe right under your nose is something that yeah. belongs to you that others will value. And, and part of that value might be an income or making a living. So talk to our listeners, Penny, about maybe going back in time a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. And when was the first time you realized, oh, this isn't so bad. I'm doing something I love. I'm making a difference with children and teaching and also taking care of my own immediate family maybe less exotic. However, when did you first realize, oh, this might work? <laughs> well, I, I know it sounds a, a kind of odd, but I, I think I realized it immediately. And as I said, I was quite surprised because the thing that I had grown up with, which was um, art and retail, and they are not that different, really, <laughs> Business is creative, you know, the things that I had grown up with and that I had rejected really were things that I actually liked a lot and that I turned, it turned out I was very, very capable of doing. Uh, but I think for, I think for anyone, if, if you have a passion, the first thing you have to do is you have to do the work, you have to hone those skills. And when you feel that you're you're ready and you probably need a lot of feedback for that because I don't think we ever feel we're ready and we're usually our own worst critics. But once you feel um, you're poised to do it, then I think the other side is the business. And a lot of people don't, don't realize that I'm an art history nerd, but in, in history, most of the famous artists that you, whose names you would recognize were very successful business people as well. You know, um, people love Van Gogh because he 
he kind of validates all of their prejudices about artists. But in reality, most famous artists from Picasso to Dali to Mary Cassatt, I mean, you think of these people, they, they were business people as well. They had to pay the bills. They had to order supplies. They had to perhaps pay taxes and promote themselves. And so because my mother was both an artist and a very astute businesswoman, and I, I think of her often, she, she died in 1993, and I hope that, I don't know how that works, but sometimes I, I hope she's aware of this because she used to say, you know, I'm teaching you all of this and someday you're going to be so grateful. And I was, you know, I was the kind of kid that was like, yeah, right. You know, but actually I am grateful. It's no different from any other business. You know, it's, it's business and people who reject that, which is fine. Um, they, they're going to be doing art as a hobby and that's fine. Yes. If you want to get into the arts and you want to make a living, then you need to embrace that, that um, there's, there's not any problem with that, that those two can coexist and actually feed one another. Uh, I find doing business to be very creative. And at times I find doing art to be very pragmatic and practical. Um, I have to show up. I have to have a schedule. I have to have my materials clean and in order. I have to have my materials. I have to order them. And so it's not what people think, you know, the art business is not, that's not an oxymoron, you know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and they're not mutually exclusive either, no, are they, all. right? <laughs> many, many, many artists, as I said, who, whose name you would recognize were both of those things. And I'm sure we all know those people who have tremendous skills and have lots of artwork stashed in their garage or their closet. And for various reasons, perhaps it's just their choice. No one ever sees it. Well, that's, that's okay. But if you want to make a living, it's not okay. <laughs> you know, so, so you have to decide, what do I want to do with this? I think a hobby is a noble thing. If you want a career in the arts, you have to develop both of those things equally or you're just, it's not going to fly, you know? So this is a good time to segue into a little bit of the teaching blended with your art and ability to be creative and yet practical at the same time. Is there a student perhaps from all those years, 21 years of teaching at Island School that comes to mind for you where you thought, okay, this one, it, this needs to be a career, not a hobby. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, mo most of my career, I've taught adults. I, I taught adults for probably 15 years in my studio before I worked at Island School. And then I taught mostly teenagers for 22 years at Island School. And now I'm back I'm full circle. I'm teaching adults again in my studio here. And it's a very different experience. Uh, but with, with the teaching high school art, oh my, I, I sometimes think of the many students I've had who inspired me and some of whom have gone on to have careers in art and architecture and design and I feel I, I couldn't even tell you all of their names, but one that comes to my mind particularly is a, a, a young woman who um, 
she was my student from third grade until 12th grade because when I first started teaching at Island School, it was so small. I taught K through 12. And so it happens that I had this student from third grade to 12th grade. And um, she is autistic. She, she has Asperger's syndrome uh, and was diagnosed in third grade. Her journey as a human being with a disability, I hate to say disability because she's certainly not, she's a very able person. Yes. Uh, and her journey as an artist has just inspired me so much. She went on to get a degree from Chicago Art Institute, one of the most rigorous and difficult programs in the world, uh, graduated from there and now works. She stayed in Chicago, even though she was born and raised on Kauai. She loves Chicago. She's found her people there and she works for Ticketmaster doing, she's also a tech genius. So combination of art and tech skills provided her a job with Ticketmaster that I'm not even sure what it is. It's, she's tried to explain it to me, but she she designs maps for Ticketmaster or something. But anyway, they love her. They love her. And they're actually, they've offered to pay for her to go back to uh, to get a master's in fine art, you know? So, but this young woman, I think, as I said, just to see, well, she had a wonderful family, but to see how she addressed all of these challenges she had, not only developing her art, but interacting socially with her peers. Yeah, and I, I just have to tell you this one story because it moved me so much, but we, we used to do a lot of different projects, but we made this huge paper weaving that hung on the wall and each student made a long strip about two inches high and 50 inches long. Uh, and they had to, in pictures, they had to illustrate the significant events of their life in sequence. So. And, you know, to us, you know, I'm thinking what, your life is so short. Like, what, what could have happened to you in 16 years? But they they don't see it that way at all. You know, so some of these were very profound and they had to make a written list and then they had to make an image for each significant event. So this young woman was doing that project and she could draw very well. She, she practiced a lot. At one point, uh, she said, to the whole class, to no one in particular, what would I do to symbolize, they had to have symbols, what would be a symbol for my diagnosis as, wow. as a person with wow. Asperger's? And I, mm-hmm. and I remembered that happening to her in third grade. And I said, well, I don't know. It's about what it, what, what it was to you, what, what comes out for you. What kind of experience was it? She said it was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And now the whole class is listening, you know. And um, she said it, it made me realize, even though I was only eight years old, that I was not bad. I was not annoying. I was not weird. I was absolutely perfect. I was different, you know. So I said, well, take that and think of some image, some kind of symbol because they couldn't use any cliche images or anything. And I sort of forgot about it. And I was walking around looking at everybody's work and I passed by her and I just gasped because she had drawn in that square. It, 
you know, the Sistine Chapel ceiling, the famous image of God and Adam, whose fingers are, are touching. But it was instead of, instead of Adam, it was God touching the finger of this girl. And she was kind of floating in the air like an angel with her arm outstretched. And she's touching the finger of, of this fierce looking Odin kind of looking God. And it was just, it's moments like that, that, that make you realize why you teach, you know, because I thought to myself, it's what, you know, where you think, why didn't I think of that? But um, she has that kind of ability, not only the skill, but she has those incredible creative concepts. That's why she gets paid for making up things for these corporations because she, um, she just nailed it. And the whole class learned something that day about this classmate of theirs and her um, journey. And I think sometimes imagers like that are so much more powerful than words. You could never express that in words, you know. Uh, although you just did. And that, Michael, is it Michelangelo? I don't want to fail class. Yeah, Michelangelo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That so, image I mean, is amazing for people. For, if well, someone's listening that hasn't seen the Sistine Chapel, you can certainly search yeah. that and look at it. Now well, replace I, that with this girl's image of her own self touching this well, deity, you know, if you will. She, she had the skill to do it with just with colored pencil, but but that isn't, to me, that isn't talent. That's just, I could teach anyone how to draw and paint. The, the talent is the kind of creative mind that comes up with that idea. Sure, you know? sure, ideation. It's so original and it's yeah. so meaningful. And it's something that in a nanosecond, everybody just gets it, you know. It's, it's so interesting because there was this whole movement of science, technology, engineering, and math that was called STEM. And it was all the rage, especially in you know places like Silicon Valley, where I had migrated from after 22 years of living in that hot box. And uh, what they have adapted now is called STREAM, which is science, technology, reading, engineering, arts, and math. And the reading and the arts is really vital because science without art and art without science, not, not so hot. So what a beautiful story and illustration. And you did a great job explaining it to the listener so they could hear it and sort of imagine it at the same time. I love that. Thank you so much for that. So I don't want to run out of time. I hate to segue. I do want to talk about two quotes that you shared. And the yeah. first is, the cure for anything is salt water, sweat, tears, or the sea. And as an open water swimmer, I am resonating with it. Tell us why that quote resonates with you, Penny. Well, it's a quote from a, a favorite author of mine, um, Itzek Denison, who wrote, if you haven't read it, Out of Africa. I know it's a movie, but the book, you have to read the book. And I guess, you know, I've all, all my life I've grown up by the ocean. And I've lived most of my life close enough to it that I could hear it, smell it, just feel it. It's, it's something very deep in me. And I, I've gotten to a point in my life where I can't be in the sun that much. I don't really swim in the ocean anymore. I'm just, I'm old. I swim in the pool. <laughs> Where where there lifeguards? Uh, but you know, um, I still 
I, I don't have to even go in it. I just have to be next to it. I walk almost every day. And lately I've been walking here across from where my studio is, is Kalapaki Beach. Just to stay out of the sun, I usually go at dawn or at dusk. And there's just something, I don't know. I, I get a kind of energy from the ocean that's, that's very powerful. I don't feel whole without it. And I love that quote because I, I think it's, if you, if you read about her life, it's a, it's a significant statement. She was a very tough woman who, like 150 years ago, lived by herself in this wilderness in Africa. And a lot of people, I mean, she doesn't even mention it in the book. But if you read about her, she was brought there by her husband who wasn't a very nice guy and left her for someone else and left her with syphilis. And she eventually died of that because that in those days, it was like, um, it was a death sentence. She never mentions it in her book. She never, you would never know she ever had a husband. She talks about her lover. She talks about her um, love for the land and the people in Africa and her adventure there in this coffee farm, which eventually fails because he had a really bad idea. Coffee didn't grow well at that elevation. But, you know, she's so upbeat and um, she was uh, really way ahead of her time in terms of her mentality and her goals and her attitudes. And eventually she had to go back to her native Denmark where she did succumb to her illness. But it's just, if you read this book, you'd never know that she had any of that or that she was ill or that she had any challenges. She was just, she was just high on the land and the people and the plants and the animals, you know. And for those of you listening that don't have the high that we might have on the Hawaiian islands, you know, you can take a salt bath. You can actually take a shower with really good scent and just immerse yourself. Literally, you can go outside and breathe fresh air and still get the high. And we always encourage this for our listeners who are practicing harmony versus balance, where you're integrating things like your own well-being and your family and perhaps your career, the arts, the science. So in wrapping today's show, we've learned a lot from you, Penny. You're a beautiful storyteller. It is clear that you are an artist from, I have the benefit of seeing some of her paintings and work on the wall. You can find her at pennynicholsart.com. We will include links and her incredible um, headshot, which is not an actual photograph. It's her work and it's collage. Your quote that we'll have you close with, and please explain this one is, because this is really interesting. There is nothing new under the sun, yet there's always a new personal vision of an eternal subject, maybe back to the story you told about your young student and her perception and ideation, which became real. Close us out with that, please. Yes. Well, I've had the privilege for over 45 years of making art and of teaching art. And the two really feed one another. I think, yeah, there, you could say there's nothing new under the sun. And yet, there's so many new um, interpretations every day, every moment. And so for me, I get the opportunity to help people to put out their unique interpretation. And a lot of times all that really 
requires is confidence. We, we've been robbed of that in the arts. And so just, or just to give them permission, frequently they have it. They just are afraid to manifest it, you know? Well, if that isn't the quote of the day, if you have it and you're afraid to manifest it on this show, we encourage you to be yourself fully, authentically, and go for harmony because as always, it beats balance every time. Penny, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Dana. Thank you.